All right, good morning, everybody. I would love to say good to see you, but I hope it's good to see me. And uh, Lord willing, next week, I will get to say that it's good to see you. Uh, we are going to sing here in just a moment. If you have a hymn book, page 111, What will you do with Jesus? But I do have several announcements that I'd like to begin with. And uh, many of these pertain to next week's public service that we're going to have. So as I've been mentioning, we have been trying to get everything uh, put in order and everything ready for, uh, for, for us to gather together again. And uh, we have permission from the school. Everything seems to be coming together fine for this. So next Sunday morning, we are going to have a public service and uh, we, it will be limited to 50 people. Many of you have already indicated by going to that link, either on the WhatsApp or on the, on the uh, website, and you've indicated that you would like to attend our public gatherings. So for those of you that have indicated as such, uh, you should have already received a message wherein I explained that we had to break the list of attendees into three different groups. And if, if you haven't heard that message yet, just check out uh, the, the voice note that I sent on the WhatsApp group, on our Godly Family group. It explains everything. And then Janae will also, she's already sent out a, a message to everyone that, that uh, signed up explaining which group you're in and also a schedule when you're able to come to the service. And this way we're going to limit it to 50 people. So there's a bit of a rotation to this. Just for the meantime, guys, this is as good as we can do. Please, if, if you went to the link and signed up indicating that you would like to come out to the public service and you have not yet received a message telling you which group you're in, what that means is we don't have your contact details. So we would really appreciate it if you uh, could contact us. If you could send us an email or if you could contact the church phone, uh, maybe send a WhatsApp or, or call. The number is 078 068 I do know that there were a handful, just a, three or four, I think, people that were not sure of how to reach you. So please reach out to us and we will let you know uh, what the schedule is uh, for you. Also, there was one person who, when they indicated they wanted to come to the service, <clears throat> rather than giving us their name, they typed in, yes, please. Now, I don't know who you are. So Mr. or Miss or Mrs., whoever that might have been, uh, Mr. Yes, please, Miss Yes, please, if you could, contact the church and just let us know who you are. We'll be happy to include you in the list because you did indicate you'd like to come, so we will try our best to accommodate that. Uh, I have to point this out as well. Because of the regulations, and because we, we have to limit it to 50 people, this, I, I hate to do this, but we can't have visitors just popping up unannounced, right? We, we we're making room for the 50 people, and if if one extra comes, then it could potentially cause problems, right? I, I don't know how closely uh, all of our gatherings are going to be monitored, but we do want to fall in line with these temporary regulations. So please, guys, if you want to come to the service, 
you, you have to notify us. We have to work out a schedule. There's many steps that go into this. So I, I'm very sorry, but you can't bring visitors. You can't just show up unannounced. The last thing we want to do is have somebody pitch up for church and then say, I'm sorry, you can't come in. Um, boy, it sounds very biblical, right? You're, you're going to knock at the door and we're going to say, depart. We, we hate to do that, but in the meantime, right? just in the short, in the near future, that's what we're gonna have to do if you haven't uh, been contacted and made a plan. Also, I mentioned last week, I believe, that we need a, a team of people that will be willing to stay after for each service and sanitize everything. So we've been in contact with the school this week and they let us know their, their program for sanitizing everything is incredibly simple in that, you simply wipe down and clean what you've touched. So I had mentioned that we might have to send that, we're calling it our task team. We might have to send the task team to the school for like a lesson on how to do it. That's really not necessary. We just uh, need to, to make sure that we clean what we touch and what we use. So there's, there's no extra time involved as far as a class goes. Uh, but those of you that signed up, we will be in touch this week and uh, let you know, we'll do our best to let you know what will be involved. I think we're going to learn as we go, right? But we'll tell you what we know. Also, uh, those there are some men that uh, have been ushers in the past. Please know that I'm going to be contacting you and letting you know how we can use your uh, services in, in, the, in the days to come because we have to have several things in order when people show up. Uh, which leads me to say another thing. I'm sorry for all the announcements, but you got to know. If you are scheduled to come to church next week, that'll be groups A and B, then please be aware that we cannot park in that open lot nearby the tennis courts. You can't park over there. Uh, we, would, we all are going to park inside the gated area that, where the mechanized gate is. Uh, I guess you'd call that the teacher's car park in, in that side. We'll all park in there, and then we'll close the gate. We're also going to lock the, the the small door, the doorway or gate where you can walk in one by one. That will also be locked for security reasons. So we're all going to park inside. Once everybody has arrived, then we'll close that gate. As you folks arrive at church, you will. Everybody's going to use one entrance, the main entrance that leads in by the by the school's offices, the foyer there. As you come in, somebody will take your temperature, then they will send you to the next stop. Somebody will take your details on a registration sheet, and then the next gentleman will take you into the auditorium, and we will have assigned seating where all of the desks, the school already has desks set up. Everything is already socially distanced, and uh, families will be able to sit together, all right? So a family, the few families that, that are scheduled to come, that your entire family gets to sit together, right, with a certain number of chairs. The kids are going to have Sunday school this this next Sunday. So the kids will be in their class while the adults are having uh, the sermon. But a husband and wife, and if there are other adults, they get to sit together at that one desk. You're together in your home, so you can be together at that desk. And then there's a, a, a decent amount of distance between you and the next people or next uh, group. So we already, we're going to put together a, a seating assignment so that all of this is, is organized. Uh, the service times, 1045. 
right? We begin 1045 sharp, guys. We, we understand, right, sometimes there's things that happen beyond your control. So we will have somebody just watching the gate, watching the door in case somebody's late. But we really want to aim to start at 1045 so that we can be done by 12. And uh, the rest of, of what's going to take place during the service, I will explain while we're there. All right, so I think that's everything that I need to mention as far as next week's service goes. But from here on out, we will be having a, a Sunday morning service with a public gathering. And by the way, it will be live streamed as well. We have a couple gentlemen working on getting everything together so that we can do a proper live stream. Uh, we can, we've been able to video uh, record stuff in the past, but our audio has been an issue. So we're working that out. And by the grace of God, we'll be able to continue live streaming our services because, as I've mentioned, we have one group of people that, uh, that wants to come out but won't be able to simply because we're over the limit. And then there are several of you that I know you watch the services live each week. And, uh, and as I said, no condemnation, no judgment at all, but uh, you have your reasons for staying at home. And we want to continue to minister to you as well. Now, the live streaming, guys, as the lockdown softens, right, eventually, eventually, we're going to have to see what we'll do with the live stream because I don't want this to replace the, the gathering of ourselves together. There is certainly a great benefit to physically gathering together. Uh, but that's something we'll discuss more and think on more as, as the days go. All right. Also tonight, uh, we will have a Sunday evening service tonight, six o'clock, normal schedule, but we are not having Bible school classes, right? The Bible school is on its semester break for the next uh, several weeks. But for those of you that would still like to uh, get some more ed edification and, and learn a little more tonight, there will be a lesson. And I'm going to go through 2 Corinthians. We'll, we're in chapter 8. Some of you might remember this a long time ago. I started doing 2 Corinthians verse by verse in Sunday school, but then... Uh, with my voice and other things came about, uh, came about, Garrett has stepped in and was doing a great job in Thessalonians. Uh, I will continue that series now, that sun, that uh, the lessons for 2 Corinthians 8. I'll be doing that on Sunday evenings. And then we also have some other gentlemen that will also pitch in in the near future with some sermons. All right, last announcement. Uh, we are going to, by the grace of God, have our missions conference and missions fair in the month of September, just like we always do. We're going to have to see what happens with the lockdown, right? That's going to determine how much we can do. But we are going to proceed as if we, we can still have a missions fair. Uh, the scheduling of it might be a little different. We might just make September, the entire month, a missions month. But if you would like to be involved, we normally have people volunteer to do stalls and represent various nations. And it's always, man, it's been such a great event each year. It's, a, it's the highlight of our year as a church. If you would like to participate in that, please, uh, you can go to our WhatsApps. There should be a link there and also our, our webpage. Janae has put a, a Google document, I think is the right term. She's put that together. You can just go to the link, fill in that document, just a few things to fill in, and let us know that you're interested, and then we will communicate with you as to how things will proceed with that. But if you're interested to help, please let us know. And speaking of messages, let's continue 
with our series now, Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be in verse number 13. Give you a moment to find that, Matthew 7, and we'll begin by reading verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is now coming down the home stretch of this Sermon of Sermons, if you will, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we read is the more like the conclusion almost of, of, the, of everything that he said. Many a preacher has followed this pattern. You preach through the sermon, and then as you come to the end, you offer an invitation. You charge the audience with a command to action. And in verse number 13, Jesus says it well, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now notice, if I can point this out quickly, the word straight, right, in English, it's the same pronunciation, but there's two different spellings, it's two different words. S-T-R-A-I-T, that means narrow, right? Paul in another place said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm, in a, I'm between a rock and a hard place. It's that type of thing. So straight gate, the way it's used here, a narrow gate. Uh, if you put a G-H in it, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, straight as in rachet, as in from point A to B without turning, that type of thing. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And then a sad statement. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us as we enter into these two very important verses. Father, we thank you today for this privilege, opening up the Word of God together. Lord, we want to not only open our Bibles, but open our hearts to you. Lord, please, search our hearts, try us, see if there be any wicked way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us down this straight and narrow way. Father, I pray you'd please speak to hearts this morning. You know precisely who is struggling with this incredibly important choice. And today, might, might there be just, Lord, I say a few, but I'd like to see as many as possible leave that old path and switch up. And today, they choose the highway. Uh, they choose the narrow way, the way to life. Please, God, speak to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus presents us at the end of this sermon with this command to action. Enter ye in at the straight gate. It is the, I believe, single most important decision anyone will ever make. What are you going to do with these gates that he has mentioned in these two verses? There are two gates. Right? In everybody's life, there are two gates. You have a gate that leads to a way, and that way will end in life, right? It is the way of life. And then there's a gate that opens up and a path that leads to destruction. And that whole path is nothing but a slow destruction. It's a path of death. These are the two gates that are involved in everybody's life. Everybody 
everybody has to make a decision. They have to face these gates and deal with these gates at one point or another. Throughout the Bible, throughout human history, God has sent men, raised up various men, to offer this type of decision to the people. Jesus used the idea of gates opening up into a path. That was his illustration for choosing one side or the other. But various prophets have presented it in different ways. Let me give you a few examples. At the end of Moses' life, just before he died, he was speaking to the nation of Israel. He said it like this, I call heaven and earth to record against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. But listen to the next part, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. Hold fast. Foss ho, I think you would say. Ho foss. For he is thy life. When he says you have a choice, choose life, what the Bible means, what Moses intended by life is loving the Lord God and cleaving unto him. That is the life that you should choose. Joshua, towards the end of his life, he likewise, much like Moses, he ended off by saying, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice that there's a choice. God, God is not going to make this choice for you. This is something you have to choose. Elijah, at one point he was faced by 450 prophets of Baal. And, and as this great uh, confrontation was taking place, of course, the, the audience, the entire nation of Israel uh, is, is represented there, and they're gathering to see who is going to win this battle of Baal versus Jehovah, because the the prophet of Jehovah, the prophet of the Lord, is is singular, right? Just Elijah, and then you have 450 prophets of Baal. It seems like it's a mismatch, but not when you take God, the true God, into account. Elijah, with all the boldness he could muster, turns to the people and he says, "How long halt ye between two opinions?" If the Lord be God, if Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And it's interesting what the Bible says next. It says, and the people answered him not a word. A choice was clearly presented. You have to make a decision. If we were to put it in the words of Jesus, you are staring at the two gates. Now you have to choose. Which path are you going to follow? But you must choose. I believe if the prophet Joel had lived in the time of Elijah, he would have chimed in with this famous phrase from his short, short book. In Joel 3 verse 14, we read this, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Today, friend, if you have never genuinely decided to enter in that straight and narrow gate and walk that narrow path arm in arm with Christ, if you have never been born again, 
then today you find yourself in that valley of decision. And what I'd like to do for the next few moments is try to inform you as much as I can about this very important decision that you have to make. I I don't want you to make this decision because it feels good in the moment. I don't want it to be something you do because the people sitting near you, uh, are you think it might please them best. I want you to know exactly what you're getting into. So if I can draw your attention to Matthew 7 and verse 13, 13 and 14. And I, the, my first point is incredibly simple. I, I want to simply bring this point out and then dig a little deep into it. The first thing I want to say is there is a decision. Jesus says, enter ye in at the straight gate. And he says, there's many that find the wrong path. Verse 14, why does he need to tell us about this small gate? Because it's narrow. It's, there's only a few people that find it, he says. Few there be that find it. It's your responsibility to get to this gate. It's a decision that God has left up to you. Now, I want to say more about this decision. You say, okay, well, that means that right now I'm in this valley of decision. It's my choice, and I'm staring at two gates. I have a gate, a broad, a wide gate, and a narrow gate, and I have to choose. Well, truth be told, truth be told, you have already chosen, most likely. If you're an adult, I would, I would dare say that every adult listening to this live stream this morning, you have already chosen one of those two gates. You say, but preacher, I, there's never been a time in my life that I have come out and, and made any sort of profession or made any official decision on to which path I'm going to take. Believe it or not, you've already entered one of these gates. Notice, I think this is interesting, he, he talks about how few people find that narrow gate. And I'm going to show you another passage in Luke chapter 13 in just a few minutes. You'll see it there as well, that people seek for the narrow gate and don't find it. You know what's interesting? Nobody's seeking for the, the path of destruction. Nobody seeks for that. But there are many that go in that gate, that wide gate, and walk that broad path that leads to destruction. But you never read where they seek for that. And here's why. Here's why. When you sinned, the first time that you decided to sin, whether you realized all of the consequences behind it or not, you may not have realized this is the gate and I'm, this is going to lead me down a path of death and destruction. But when you decided to rebel against God and sin, that was your choice. You entered that broad, that, that wide gate and you're on that broad path. Now this started way, way back in the Garden of Eden. When God commanded Adam and Eve, he said, you guys are going to, be in this garden. Adam, you're going to tend it and take care of the garden. You can eat from the fruit of any tree, but the fruit from the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat from that. The day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. You see, in the beginning, there was only one way. There was just this way of life. God had given them life and that was it. Right and wrong was determined by what God said. Adam and Eve lived by what God said. That was the only way. God's way. 
But then we know how the story goes. The serpent comes in, has a chat with Eve. Eve is deceived. She eats of the fruit. She gives to Adam. Adam's not deceived. He knows perfectly well that what he's about to do is wrong. It is contrary to the command of God. You're not supposed to eat that fruit, but he did it anyway. And what they did is they created another path. Now there is another way. Rather than doing it God's way, than living God's way, now we're going to do it our own way. The whole idea of nobody's going to tell me what to do, I'll live my life the way I want to live it. That was created, that path, that mindset for life was created that day in the garden. This alternate lifestyle. You know, Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, it's interesting how these two things happened in gardens. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed this famous prayer, not my will, but thine be done. You know what I believe he's undoing? He's undoing what Adam said through his actions that day in the Garden of Eden. What Adam basically said was, not thy will, but mine be done. At some point in your life, right, you decided to go the way of Adam. You decided, I know this is wrong. I, I, I know that God doesn't want me to do this. I'm aware of it, but I want to do it anyway. I'm going to do it my way. And the moment you did that, you entered that alternate life. You entered that, that sinful condition. You passed through the wide gate. The decision you need to make today is not, am I going to go down the bad path or the good path? It's not that. The decision that you are faced with is, I am on the wrong path. I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, am I going to enter in through that narrow gate and leave behind this old path? That's the decision that you're faced with. The idea of neutrality of saying, well, you know, I don't, uh, I don't really feel comfortable making this decision. I'm just going to stay out of it completely. I'm not going to make a decision. I don't want to say it's right. I don't want to say it's wrong. I'm just going to stay neutral. You can't. You can't. You are already on the wrong path because of sin. We sang it in this song this morning. Neutral, you cannot be. Jesus said it like this. You're either with me or you're against me. There is no middle ground when it comes to being saved. right? Nobody can be almost saved. If you're almost saved, if you're almost a Christian, you're altogether lost. That's what Agrippa said. King Agrippa, when he heard Paul preach, he said, Almost persuadest thou me to be a Christian. Well, that, that's a noble and honest answer, but almost, right, is still altogether lost. I'll break it down and make it as simple as I can. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You are either dead in sins or alive in Christ. Either the wrath of God abides on you because of sin or you have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You have either believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted your soul in His precious hands and you've been saved, or you abide today in unbelief. There are only those two options. Uh, Jesus, when you talk about making it simple, l listen to how simple He makes it. He, 
You talk about narrowing down, right? This is a narrow gate. He narrows it down and tells us that there's only one right way. John 14, 6, a very famous verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you see how he has eliminated any other possible way and said there is just one right way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's put this together. The only way of finding true life is through a genuine personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are either on that right path. In this, in this case, that path is a person. Either you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you've gone through that narrow gate, just one way, one door to enter through. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Jesus made it abundantly clear that that's the right way, the only way. You say, well, what if you try to get to heaven some other way? What if you try to have a relationship with God some other way? Live your life some other way? Then it's the wrong way. Right? It's simple. Right way, wrong way. And the fact of the matter is, if you have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ personally as your Savior to redeem you, to pay for your sins, to reconcile you to God, to develop and offer that what the Bible calls eternal life. Right? We think of that as going to heaven and living there forever. There's so much more to eternal life. Eternal life starts the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior. He is life. He connects you to God. He reconciles you. He brings you back to Him. That is life. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and cleaving fast unto Him. That's life. If you don't have that, if you've never made that decision... It doesn't matter what you're trying. It's the wrong way. You're on that broad path. Which leads me to the second thing that I'd like to say. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And I'm going to show you here where Jesus used this same, this same uh, charge about entering in at the correct Gate, Luke chapter 13. This is a, a different sermon now that he's preaching. And by the way, Jesus often would recycle the material that he used, right? He would, if it's true and profitable, then by all means repeat it to, to different crowds. That's what he's doing here. Luke 13, verse 24. It says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, the second thing I want to say about this passage that we saw, these gates of life, right? That we, that we, that we saw in, in Matthew and we're going to see here. It, it tells us that there is a decision that needs to be made. And it informs us that we're on the wrong path and we need to find that narrow path gate and enter there. And, and because of what I've just explained about that, you would say, well, this seems like a very simple decision, right? There's either Jesus or the wrong way. So obviously I'll just enter down 
enter in at that narrow gate and, and walk the path with Jesus, the path who is Jesus. I'll just, I'll just do that. It's an easy decision. We would like to think that. But strangely enough, Jesus said people will seek for this and not find it. Many will miss the mark. How can this be? Even in, in verse 24, you see the first word in that verse? Strive to enter in. You would think this is an easy decision, and yet the use of the word strive, right? That means to labor and work hard at something, to, to go through difficulties, to achieve something. That's striving. Even though it looks like an easy decision, what I want to say, there is a decision, but there are also difficulties. When dealing with the gates that everybody has in their life, these two gates, there's a decision, and there are some difficulties trying to make this decision. There is simplicity in Christ, but any time that God simplifies it and says, here's the way, the truth, the life, enter there, you receive salvation, redemption. There it is. He makes the offer super clear, and, and he does his best to draw you to it. Don't think the devil's going to take that line down. The devil, along with his two lackeys, the world and the flesh, they will do everything they can to distract you and confuse you, if I can use another word that starts with D, to make, uh, to, to confuse you and say, I thought this was a simple, easy decision, but I don't know. The devil will delude and distract. Delude and distract. Notice, if I can point this out to you, in verse number 24, he says at the end, Many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. People are seeking. They're on this wrong path, this broad, wide path. They're on that path, and yet at the same time seeking to get, in, to get through another gate and to find life. They know that something's missing from their current course of action. They feel the void. They're trying their best to satisfy, or to find satisfaction rather, in this life. And everything they try, worldly accomplishments, money, uh, entertainment, hobbies, uh, academic achievements, whatever the case might be, they, they try everything to fill this hole in their life. And yet, everything they try seems to fall short. Notice that there's some other delusions, right? People think, if I can just do this, if I can just do that, that will satisfy. It won't. It won't. People are looking to fill the void. And there's some other some, some delusions I think we'll see in this passage. Look at verse 25. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Do you see the delusion they were under? They knocked at the door and fully expected that the master of the house would open and welcome them. And to their surprise, they heard, I don't know you. They were under a delusion. I, I think it's something that we should point out at this juncture here. In verse 25, 
when once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door. You know, eventually, right, the opportunity to go through this gate closes. Now, this can happen one of two ways for you. Either you physically will die and then the door is shut, no more chances to to make this right decision, or the Lord comes back, which the way that the world is shaping up could be any moment. But when once the master is risen up and shuts that door, there's no more chance. You know what the devil will do? He'll say, ah, you got plenty of time. Some of you have been listening to preaching for years. Not just mine, but you've been in plenty of churches and you've heard the gospel presented. People have offered you the chance to receive Christ as your Savior. Personally, right? Not trusting a religion, but to develop a real relationship with God. And you keep putting it off because the devil whispers in your ear and says, yeah, that's the right thing to do, but do it later. Do it tomorrow. Listen, folks, tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow is a delusion of the devil. It doesn't exist. It's a figment of our imagination at best. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He skips tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. By the time tomorrow shows up, it'll be today. There's yesterday. There's today. And then there's eternity. Don't let the devil make you procrastinate further and put this decision off. Uh, There's another delusion I think we'll see in the passage. Look at verse 26. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. These people were fully convinced that because they were in the presence of Jesus and heard Him speak, that was enough to gain them entrance into the kingdom of God. Folks, just this would be the equivalent of going to church and then not only going to church, but also eating the food at the church bride. You can go to church, you can hear the Word of God preached. You can even stick around and have some fellowship with the other folks that were there. You can eat and drink in their presence, but just going to church and being an active member therein, that is not enough. That is not enough to gain you entrance into the kingdom or into a relationship with God. You know, a lot of folks say, but I'm doing my best. Now, And I'm saying this as kind of an all-inclusive in case these other things didn't apply to you, you said, well, I'm doing the best I can. I like what one preacher said about this. The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. God is not impressed with you doing the best you want to do, what you think is right. The way of salvation is found with you accepting what God has revealed about what's right. Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived through Satan's many devices. You know, the Bible says that he has many devices and we are to be aware of them. Let me, let me point out a few tricks that the devil might pull. I, I think there's been quite a few people that have fallen for, for this one. The devil will sneak over to that narrow gate and hang a sign on, on top of it. And that sign will say, better health through Jesus. And people say, ooh, 
I want better health, and they go through that gate thinking, right, thinking that it is the gate that leads to life, that it is the path of eternal life. What they want is better health. They're not entering into a relationship with Jesus. They are simply seeking better health. The devil will sometimes head over to a gate and hang over the sign, financial help through Jesus. People say, oh man, I need financial help. My business is a mess. I, you know, things are just not working out. Let, let me go towards God, but I, I'm going there because I want him to help me with money. You're not entering into a relationship with God. You're not accepting the covenant that he desires to make with you. You're not accepting him as savior. You're accepting him as your servant. That's not salvation. The devil will hang up all sorts of signs. He'll put a sign over a gate that says, Stronger marriage through Jesus. People say, Man, I need him to fix my marriage. They'll go through, not, not because they want to have Jesus as Savior. They just want him to fix what they messed up. Devil hang a sign over there and says, A better reputation through Jesus. And people will enter that gate because they, they want everyone to look at, at, look at me. Look at what I'm doing with my life. They want honor from men. If that's your intention, if that's your goal by coming to Jesus, then friend, that's not salvation. That's not the narrow gate that Jesus is offering, the one that he is, is charging you to enter through, right? commanding you to enter through. Jesus can indeed help you with all of those things I just mentioned. He can help with your health, with your wealth, with your marriage. He can help with your testimony. All of that, that's fine. He can fix your problems. Don't get me wrong. But beyond fixing your problems, Jesus wants to fix you. He wants you and, and God to be in a genuine relationship, not based on God, here are my requirements. If you do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be one of yours. No, that's, you don't get to cut the deal. Imagine, now you say, well, I, you know, as long as I'm involved with Jesus, as long as I get there somehow, then it should be fine. I, let me give you an illustration why that won't work. Imagine a bride and a groom standing at the altar and they're offering their vows to each other. And the woman looks at the man and says, um, I promise to be your lawfully wedded wife as long as you pay the bills, take good care of me, and do everything that I ask. But the moment that you fail in any of this, you can just count on it. I'm not hanging around. That might be the most awkward wedding ceremony ever. I don't think right any sane man would run from that type of a, of a proposition. Who wants to enter into that? But that is exactly how a lot of people go to God. They say, God, here are the things I need help with. Here is my list. Now, if you can fix all this, great. And if you don't, then I'm out of here. You see, they're not going to God as Savior. They're going to Him as, as a servant. I think the old song is very applicable here. King of my life, I crown thee now. When you enter this narrow gate, what you're doing is saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And my life is not what you intended it to be. And there is a hole, there's a void in my life that only God can fill. And I'm coming to you so that you can fill that hole, so that you can give me life and be my life. 
I surrender myself today at the foot of the cross. Not my will, but thine be done. Save me from the disaster, from the destruction that I have brought upon myself. Change me and make me into your image. If you're not deluded, there's a chance you might be distracted. And I'll tell you quickly some of the distractions that come along with this. Because, again, it seems like it should be an easy choice, right? But so many people fail to enter in at this gate. So either they're deluded or they're distracted. Uh, My mind goes back 3,500 years to the nation of Israel as they were about to enter into the land of Canaan. God said, there's the land I promised your forefathers. It's yours. Take the land. They sent the spies. Remember 40 days? And then they came back and they said, yo, here's the fruit of the land. It's a beautiful land. It flows with milk and honey. It's, it's exactly what God said it would be. It's great. But there are some giants in the land. Wow, those giants, they're so massive. We feel like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're, you know, we're just puny. There's no way, there's no way we can overcome these giants. And rather than entering in by faith, by believing what God said about, I'm going to give you the land, they got distracted by the giants. Should have been an easy decision. God said it, now go take the land. It should have been easy. But those giants, whew. You know, there are some gigantic distractions that keep people from entering into a relationship with Christ. Let me give you a few. People say, you know, if I get born again, uh, man, what is my family going to say about it? What are my friends going to say? What is my boss going to say? What is my spouse going to say? If I, if I admit that all this time I haven't truly been saved, I've, I've been religious, I've, I've played the game, I've said the right things, but I've never genuinely given my heart to Christ. If I get born again, what will people think? Oh, that's a gigantic distraction. People say, you know, if I get born again, I don't think I can continue to operate my business the way I've been doing until now, you know, and until this time, I, I've always gone by the philosophy, the end justifies the means. You've got to make money somehow. But if I were to get born again and be saved and, and, and walk on that narrow path, then I'd have to do it God's way. And boy, that, that might cost me a little bit of money. I tell you what, money can be a gigantic distraction. People say, but if I get born again, I won't be able to do what I want to do. I will have to do it God's way. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it like this, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, but I say unto you. You know, a lot of people, when they're faced with this decision of entering into that narrow gate, they look at it and go, man, that from now on, I just have to do what Christ says? You mean, I have to, I have to submit to him All my decisions, wishes, desires, and dreams, now I lay them at the foot of the cross. They, They look and they go, man, but that's not how we've always done it. This is the old way. This is what I'm used to. And they fail to enter in. You know, as Israel was entering into that land, God told them, when you enter in, you have to kick out the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Avite, the Girgashite, all the otherites. 
You know, people say, if I get born again, I don't think I can continue to fellowship with that old crowd. That's true. You're probably going to have to part ways with a lot of those ites, those social ites, and whoever those ites are in your life. You'll have to, you, you might have to ha- have new friends. It might. Listen, you pass through this gate and you walk the narrow way. It will change every aspect of your life. And that can be a major, a, a gigantic distraction. It makes an easy choice difficult. What you need to do is instead of looking at what you're going to have to give up and what you're going to have to change, look at what you're going to gain. You're entering through the Lord Jesus Christ into a relationship with God that will last forever, into a satisfying, full, and what Jesus called the abundant life. Don't let the devil make this decision difficult. Lastly, if I can bring you back to Matthew chapter 7, I just want to speak for a moment about the destruction that you face. Jesus said in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. I do believe that Jesus is referring to something eternal. I do. The Bible makes it clear. And beyond any preacher in the Bible, Jesus talked about it more than any other person. He talked about an eternal place of punishment where there's weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, where there is fire, there is pain, there is regret. All of that is involved. There is eternal destruction. But if you are on this wrong path, and, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what your philosophy is, it doesn't matter your intentions, right? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you're on that wrong path, it is the path of death. It is a path of destruction. It leads to eternal destruction. But at this moment, you are slowly dismantling and destroying your life. Let me explain what I mean by this. Once you reject truth, you are forced to create an entirely independent system for answering life's most difficult questions. See, Jesus is offering you the way, the truth, and the life. He will answer these difficult questions and put you on the right path so that you can deal with them. If you reject that, no matter how polite you are about rejecting it, then necessity is the mother of invention. You have to come up with this brand new way of explaining why we're here. These three questions, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Jesus answers all of them perfectly. If you reject that, any part of what he's revealed, the rejection of truth leads to confusion and chaos. David wrote it like this in the Psalms, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundation for proper thinking The foundation for answering those most important questions in life are based in what Jesus had to say to us when he came to this earth. This is God in the flesh now coming down and offering people a choice, reminding them rather that they have this choice to make. The atheist would say, well, we came from nothing. And we are, when we die, we go back to nothing. You know what that does to life? makes it worth nothing. Do you see how the rejection of truth creates this alternate way of thinking, this alternate way of living, 
and it destroys life. The reason we're here, why are we here? That's the question we need to answer. Jesus gave us that answer. I'm the life. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Somebody will say, well, I came from my ancestors. And after I die, I'm going back to my ancestors. If you think like that, then why am I here? To please the ancestors. And they live in fear of what the ancestors might think. And since the ancestors can't speak, because they are dead and gone, the witch doctor then gets to play with people's minds. Guys, that is... That is living a a destroyed, dismantled life. That is not what God intended for people to live in fear of man, especially men that have, have died and gone. You know what some people still say? Well, I admit we came from God. They accept that much. But then, but then they say, you know, I think, I think while I'm here, my job is to just do the best I can to impress God, and then hopefully one day He'll accept it and let me in. When I knock at the door, hopefully He'll open the door and say, Welcome. You have to accept the truth that God has revealed. And that truth was revealed through His Son, through His death, burial, and resurrection. On that glorious Sunday morning when Jesus came back from the dead, it validated and verified everything that Jesus had claimed about Himself, that He is the only way to the Father. You see, if you're under the impression, well, I'm just going to do the best I can to impress God, hopefully He will accept it, then you're going to live a life it constantly in doubt. Is it enough? Have I done enough? You'll never find that peace and joy, that peace that passes all understanding that comes with a personal relationship with Christ. Don't live a wasted life, a destroyed, dismantled life. Right now, this morning, there are multitudes in that valley of decision. Whether you knew it or not, you were on that wrong path. But the offer is being extended to you. The narrow gate, the straight gate, and that narrow way is being pointed out. And if you would like to enter into it, today you can personally and genuinely from your heart say, Lord, I know where I came from. We were made in the image of God and sin messed it up. And I know that through Christ, I can be reconciled to God and once again fulfill my created purpose. Say, why am I here? To worship God and to enjoy His fellowship. And you know what that leads to? Where am I going to go? What happens after I'm done on earth? You get to enjoy the presence of God and worship Him for eternity. All of this is answered in Jesus. The question I ask you today is exactly what we began by singing. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, What will He do with me? Please don't take this today as the pastor asking you to make a decision to go through that narrow gate. Take it as the Lord Jesus Christ standing there. He is the door. He is the way. He is the life. Open arms extended. He's saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hands extended. 
He's begging you, sinner, come home. Leave the old path. Leave the path of destruction. Find that abundant life that Jesus has to offer. I urge you today, please, friend, no matter how long you've been on that other path, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Father, we come to you, and I'm begging you, God, please, Help some sinner today. Maybe they've been on that broad path. Oh Lord, it's so broad. It's so wide. There's so many ways to get it wrong. Lord, maybe they've been deluded or distracted. Help them today to make that right decision. Show them clearly. Shine the light on that narrow, straight gate. Lord, I remember how you brought me to that gate. How you showed me the way and I thank you, Lord, walking this narrow path with you. This is the right way. Oh, Lord, it's so satisfying. Peace and joy and righteousness and everything that I could have asked for in life and more. You have done exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or think. Please do that for some other sinner today. No matter how old or young, God, please, please save somebody today. Thank you for your help today. Please speak to hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time today. I do hope that you take time to consider this important decision. Uh, Lord willing, you'll see me tonight, 6 p.m. We do have our service tonight. And uh, by the grace of God, we'll see each other next Sunday at 1045 at church. You guys have a good day.